This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Okay, squeezers, strap yourselves in because we're going to the moon. You heard that right. NASA reckons it's about to take another giant leap for man and womankind. And this time it's not just about walking on the moon, but actually going there to set up camp. So in this week's Squeeze Shortcut, we take a look at the first baby steps towards going back to the moon, how astronauts plan to set up a village, and why the 2030s will be the big space decade to watch. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Siobhan Moran-McFarlane. Siobhan, welcome to Squeeze Shortcuts. Thank First time. you. So exciting. And this is like my favourite topic, so... It's tailor-made for you. It really is. I love all the space museums, so I'm here we down. go. Let's do it. Some days, all the news about war, about floods, about pandemics, it's all pretty dense and it seems like life on Earth is pretty rough, actually, Siobhan. Never fear, we've got a plan B. Yeah, look, a good coach always teaches you to have a plan B, so when it all gets too grim here on planet Earth, maybe, just maybe, the moon is shaping up as the backup option. Well, all jokes aside, the reason we're doing a shortcut on this this week and on the moon is because things really are starting to heat up again in space exploration. Having humans back on the moon for the first time in more than 50 years looks like it's not that far away. Yeah, so Artemis 1 took off a couple of weeks ago. That's an uncrewed mission, and it's really the first step towards getting us back there. It's not actually going to land on the moon, though. It's just kind of a first-off recce. So it's going to orbit nearby, getting as close as within 100 kilometres to the moon before it comes back down and dumps into the Pacific Ocean. And to back that up... There's no actual astronauts on board. Not this time. Yeah, so we know launching into space is a risky business. So this is really a safety test ahead of the next flights, which are planning to have crews on board. So think of Artemis 1 as a test of all the systems. And then there are six planned missions all up, stretching out until 2028. So no people on board. I got that. We do have to mention Helga and (laughs) Zohar, though. They're making the trip. They've got some pretty important work to do. Who are they? Yes, so you can't accuse now. NASA and its European counterparts joining them in this mission of not having a sense of humour because it sent two mannequins into space with great names <laughs> and it's fitted them with radiation measuring sensors. Now cosmic radiation is actually a really big deal for astronauts so it's trying to get a much better handle on that and see if they can do anything to mitigate the effects. It's like wearing radiation vests. Yeah, something you don't think about in all the crazy risks of going into space I guess. I certainly hadn't thought of that one. One more question just backing it up here again. Again, what's the deal with the name Artemis? I've heard it so many times, but I can't say I know what's behind it. Look, like we said, it's been nearly 50 years since humans were last on the moon. That was the Apollo 17 mission in December 1972. The name Apollo was taken from Greek mythology. He was the god of sun and light. And his twin sister is Artemis, who was the goddess of the moon among many other things. Do you think we might see a baby name spike, Artemis? <laughs> Definitely. You've I, got a baby on the way, Siobhan. Mm, I think Artemis is a bit uh, formal, maybe. So that's a hard no from Siobhan. <laughs> but if anyone wants to go down that path, you do you. Let's get back on track, though. So far, so good with the first flight of Artemis. It launched on November 16. It's meant to be away for around a month 
altogether, sending the data and live images back to Earth before it ditches into the ocean. Yes, and the next mission, Artemis 2, isn't planned before 2024. It's meant to have four astronauts on board and so much planning goes into these missions because NASA don't want another disaster. If you're old enough to remember, back in 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger broke apart just one minute into its flight, killing all seven crew members on board. And then later in 2003, Columbia disintegrated while it was re-entering the atmosphere. So it's super dangerous. Yeah, and that again killed seven people. It really put the brakes on America's space efforts, but they're well and truly back in business again. Now let's look at plans to actually make a village on the moon. Siobhan, I'm not someone who really wants to go to space, I must confess. I think it'd be one of the most scariest things ever. So setting up shop and putting a small settlement down on the moon is far from my idea of fun. Why do people want to do it? See, I'm completely the opposite, Kay. I would love, I'm obsessed with sci-fi and everything. I would love to go into space. Off but you go. I get it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and look, it's like Sir Edmund Hillary said when he kept getting asked why he climbed Mount Everest, because it's there, mm. you know, it's just the intrigue, isn't it? And look, America sees this as an important field of scientific discovery. Obviously, man literally made it to the moon in 1969, but not a whole lot of research has been done since. One of the other things NASA talks about is inspiring young people. They want to build a so-called Artemis generation, kids who grow up wanting to be part of this new space horizon. Mm, Yeah, and that leads us to the third reason they want to go back. It's becoming a massive economic opportunity. Mm. So many countries are investing in space and the US and its partners want to be the leaders in that field. All right, you convinced me, setting up camp on the moon is pretty important part of being able to go back again and again. Then eventually they want to make it to Mars, of course. That's the long-term goal of the Artemis program. Yeah, so that part might take a while, but the moon plan has a pretty short time frame. So as mentioned, in 2024, there will be another test flight, but this time with a crew. Now that is also not going to land on the moon. 2025 is the first planned lunar landing, and NASA says that mission Artemis 3 will have the first woman and the first person of colour on board. And then there's the following flights, Artemis 4, 5 and 6, and a bunch of support missions that are actually going to start putting down infrastructure on the moon, each of them making it easier for the next one to come along. That's right. And they're planning to set up a kind of base camp, so a mobile home, a moon rover so they can get around, plus a lot of scientific equipment. The goal is to be able to support up to four astronauts for two months at a time. That's a very intense sharehouse situation. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening here on the ground at the moment, though, is that aerospace engineers and scientists are building prototypes in labs down here, as I said, on Earth, that somehow have to become a survivable habitat on the moon. They haven't landed that yet. No, and I know we've talked a bit about radiation, but one of the biggest challenges trying to get people to safely live on the moon is that. And one of the things they're looking at doing is making bricks with moon dust, which is actually called regolith and that is intended to try and block the radiation yeah cue my head going to superman and kryptonite (laughs) needing to find the magic shield that's going to protect those astronauts on the moon yep and we know that the moon is a harsh environment
environment, but Mars is even more inhospitable. Mm. So NASA needs to start sorting all of this out before it can even contemplate a mission to Mars. And it takes about six months to travel there. So clearly there's not going to be any turning around to pick up extra supplies. I can't get my head around space travel and time and all of that. (laughs) We're not doing that in this shortcut today. But long story short, you'd want to be pretty organised to get this all sorted. I think that's probably the understatement of the year, in fact. Let's take a look now at why the 2030s could be the biggest decade for space exploration. Now, you know something is about to become a really big deal when all the billionaires start getting involved. Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, they all have big dollars all tied up in the space industry. Yeah, the space industry is currently worth a whopping $500 billion, according to Forbes magazine. That's bigger than the economies of Ireland, my people, or (laughs) Austria. And it grew last year by nearly 10%, which tells you something that given so many countries are actually stalling or going backwards. Yeah, commercial space ventures made up about three quarters of that figure. So while NASA and its government partners are doing their thing, that we've just talked about, a record number of civilians launched into space last year. Yeah, it's incredible to think more paying customers went into space last year than actual professional astronauts, not to mention Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner. So yeah, it's the latest billionaire's playground selling seats into space. The missions are pretty brief though, just as short as a few minutes or as long as a few days. You might be one of those one day, Siobhan. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Those lofty ambitions to get up to the moon. More than a thousand spacecraft were launched in just the first six months of 2020. So outside of people going, there are actually a lot of aircraft going up there. That's according to a report from the Space Foundation. And again, more than 90% of those were from the commercial sector. And you've got SpaceX's Elon Musk, Virgin Galactic's Richard Branson and Blue Origin's Jeff Bezos, all vying to transport crew and cargo for NASA. And Elon Musk, of course, declared he wants to colonise Mars. <laughs> he's got a bit going on. He might move on to that once he's done with Twitter, maybe. On a much smaller scale, Australia, here, we're really ramping up our investment in space as well. Yeah, so here it's a $4 billion sector now, and the government is aiming to triple that by 2030. And that includes creating 20,000 new jobs. Do you remember that movie, The Dish? Love that movie. So good. Yeah. Or if you've been out to any of the big observatories at parks or Honeysuckle Creek, we've got a pretty long and proud history of space observation and communication already. That could be my recommendation. I've got another one, but the dish as well, if people haven't seen it, (laughs) highly recommend. We actually helped, Australia helped beam the live pictures of the moon landing to the world. Go us. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. And of course, only a fraction of the industry is about directly supporting a moon or Mars mission. A lot has got to do with nuts and bolts, things like satellites. So many more things are now dependent on them from the internet to imagery like Google Earth that's being used in agriculture, water management, and just general GPS technology. So so many different forms of communication. Yeah, and that's why every country, including Australia, and this is where it all starts to make sense to me, wants a slice of this. The other reason no one wants to be left behind, you hear everyone talking about how space research allows countries to leapfrog in research and development. That's another big factor for countries. Scientists keep pushing the boundaries of what we know. Yeah, it's amazing the list of things that were developed during space research. Artificial limbs were designed to be part of robotic spacecraft. Scratch-resistant lenses 
came out of NASA, insulin pumps were first used as a way to monitor astronauts' vital signs. The Dustbuster as well, that was a big deal. NASA partnered with Black & Decker, the power tool company, to collect rock samples in space. Space is so much more than the things you think about, like the astronauts and that whole thing. It's a whole industry of stuff. Yeah, totally. And that's where Australia sees the benefit, to be honest. Some of the smaller industries that sprung up around space, like nanosatellites, robotics, navigation tools, and even aerospace medicine. As I said, much bigger than a spaceship, that's for sure. That's your shortcut to moving to the moon. On to our recommendations. Each week we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. As I said, highly recommend watching The Dish. But if you want to give something a follow, NASA Artemis on Instagram and Twitter, way to go. Yeah. I'm sure you're already following it. Come on. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> um, we spoke about some of the inventions that have come out of the space industry that are now used in everyday life. We've got a link to that article. And you can also thank NASA for water filtration. There you go. There See, you go. so much to read, so much to listen to, <laughs> so much to look at. We love space. As always, we'll put a link to all of those in your episode notes. Thanks for listening into this episode of Squiz Shortcuts. Siobhan, I think that might be your debut, but I don't think you're done. We'll get thank you back. You. I'd love to come back. Thank you. <laughs> Until next week. Thank you.